Hi, this is John Kennedy uh, from uh, NJMEP with the New Jersey Manufacturing Extension Program. And uh, this show is called uh, Manufacturing Partnerships, Making Waves. And the whole uh, premise behind it is to talk to a variety of our center directors throughout this national program um, and uh, get their take on what's happening in the manufacturing industry. The guys from uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio, uh, Lou Weiss and, and Tim Grady, uh, said that they wanted to hear more from us, uh, and uh, that's what we're going to do today. Uh, the MEP National Network is a program that's, well, it's based out of the Department of Commerce, um, and uh, our group is called NIST, uh, National Institute of Standard and Technology. If you're a dumb engineer, you know that. Uh, if you're not, you probably don't. But, uh, you know, our, our mission is simple. We're, we're here to, you know, support uh, manufacturers in our, in our states, in our, uh, you know, as much as we can. So today I got uh, an interesting guy. He actually doesn't know this, but he was, uh, he was the second person I met when I joined uh, uh, NJMEP. He was the second center director, uh, Deloitte Wolf. Uh, who's out there in uh, the great state of uh, Washington. His center is called Impact Washington, which is kind of a cool name, but uh, you know, it, Deloitte uh, has been around for a while. He took over, you know, recently as the center director, but his skill sets have gone very deep uh, out in Impact Washington. A couple of things in looking at his background that I have to, ask quest questions about Deloitte. Sorry, this is, you know, I'm trying to learn too. What the hell is the Maritime Blue Board of Directors? What is that? Yeah, yeah great question. And first of all, thanks for having me on today, John. And uh, Maritime Blue is a, is a consortium that came out of the governor's maritime sector department. And really what the focus is, is the blue economy here in, um, not just in Washington, but globally. So uh, Maritime Blue uh, has been around for three years now. And so we're doing a lot of uh, startup work with uh, emerging uh, technology around clean energy, uh, uh, biological uh, safe harbor stuff that we're looking at out here. Matter of fact, one of the things we just started the Blue Maritime Consortium is we're doing a test with 5G at one of the ports with Microsoft and how that's gonna help the port of Seattle um, be more efficient moving information and you know product through the supply chain by leveraging 5G out here. So we do a lot of that work, it's relatively new. It's a nonprofit. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, you know, I mean, we all have our jobs and then we have our jobs, which are uh, all the other intricacies that uh, come together to allow us to to do some of this stuff. Right. Secondly, I'm I'm looking at some of your background now. You, you know, you went to the University of Montana, which uh, I would have liked to have gone there just during ski season. But uh, uh, you know, some of your background. Uh, you know, I know we had talked uh, years ago about you working at Georgia Pacific. And 
But then I look at this and it says, you know, doing some things within Seattle's uh, Supersonics organization and Miller Brewing. So how did the pieces come together, man? Well, in, in college, John, um, I actually was a bartender and I worked loading beer trucks at night for a local beer distributor. And they had an internship with Miller Brewing, which at the time was owned by Philip Morris. And so I got hooked into the internship through the university and the local beer distributor. And when I graduated, I took a, a job with uh, Philip Morris and Miller Boring. And so uh, my first job with Miller Boring, John, was in Casper, Wyoming. And I figured I couldn't get in very much trouble down there because there were actually more people back then, uh, or more antelope in Wyoming than there were people. <laughs> So if I was going to get my doctorate degree in, in brewing, I would done my thesis on how to convince antelope how to drink beer. So I spent some time there. I moved to California, did my tour of duty with Miller there, and in 1994 came up here in the North End, and really was uh, did a lot of marketing work um, with the major sports facilities up here, whether it was the Sonics, the Seahawks. Um, the Mariners baseball team. We also did a big push on whether or not we could bring motorsports to the Northwest. We have a drag strip up here, but we never had NASCAR or IndyCar. The closest open wheel race was always in Portland. Um, I left there uh, because somebody asked me to move to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I didn't know Buckley then, uh, but I wasn't going to live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So I, I left there, and one of our <laughs> big partners, uh, were the Seattle Supersonics, where we had a $10 million long-term sponsorship. And so I had an opportunity to go to work for the Seattle Supersonics when Howard Schultz, of uh, Starbucks fame, bought the team from the Ackerley family, Ackerley Communications. So I, once again, I spent time there until they decided to move the team to Oklahoma. And I wasn't moving to Oklahoma either. So I, I left there and went to work for George George Pacific in the consumer products industry. So it was kind of funny. I, I kind of say like this, the Sonics. Hmm. So I sold the beer that we drank at the basketball game that we put in the plastic cup made by Dixie. Okay. So then I went to work for Dixie. So I sold the cup to the Sonics that we used to put Miller beer in. So it's kind of a closed loop, very, pretty much vertical and horizontal. So it was a great experience. Uh, really enjoyed uh, learning about uh, professional sports, and sometime we could talk about the NBA in Seattle and, and, and some of the things we did. Uh, but you know, last week was uh, oh, in 2008 was the last game the Seattle Sonics played in Seattle, Washington, before they moved to Oklahoma. And we hope to get a team back someday here. I mean, you know, we just rebuilt the arena. Uh, it was called Key Arena. And I think it's uh, Amazon is the prime sponsor. I think it might be called for Evergreen. Somebody's probably going to correct me on that. But Amazon bought that. And it's a green, green arena. And it will be for the professional soccer team or hockey team that's coming here next year, the Kraken. So a Kraken is an octopus, right? Yeah. So the Seattle Kraken will be playing hockey in the new arena next year. So we're excited about that. Yeah. So. That I knew about because uh, I'm a I'm an NHL fan. Uh, follow I'm a I'm a Rangers fan. They gave me one championship. That's all they've given me. But uh, 
you know, at least my son was alive, so he got to see it too. <laughs> this is a great sports town for hockey. Those tickets sold out, John, in less than eight hours, season tickets, um, just like soccer. You can't get a soccer ticket in this town either. The Seattle Sounders are big. So anyway, um, I, I don't miss the beer days. Um, now I can sit in the stands and drink the beer and watch the event. Because like many things we do, even in manufacturing, we get a, we're so much behind the scenes on a lot of that stuff, right? And so we're not down there actually building stuff, but we're helping people be better. So I think that's really important. So really enjoyed that. Um, I don't miss Georgia Pacific either because I lived in the far side of the east west coast in Seattle. Corporate was in Atlanta, Georgia. And, uh, you know, if you ever get on a 5 a.m. call on the west coast for an 8 a.m., in Atlanta, Georgia, that means the light will always get on a 5 a.m. call, no matter what. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's the uh, that's the cross you bear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it was fun. So I, but I, you know, I, I really enjoy coming to the MEP system after many years of you know being out in consumer products and just being kind of in the manufacturing world and you know especially Georgia Pacific. You know, when I talk about Dixie, but they also has some of the largest paper mills in the country. You go up to Green Bay, you know, places like that. And, and they were owned by the Koch brothers, still are. And so they, they have a lot of investment out there besides uh, paper. They do a lot of fertilizing, petroleum business throughout the country. So I got to look at a lot of the different aspects of, you know, ownership, just like when I was at Philip Morris. They owned, back then, Philip Morris, John, actually owned Kraft Foods, 7-Up, yeah. They owned Altoids, Total and Chocolates, you know, Oscar Mayer. So all those things, they said at one time, you could not walk into a convenience store and not purchase up to three items without one of those belonging to Philip Morris. Yeah, I remember that time because Kraft was big in New Jersey. Sure. Go, then Kraft, and then now Mondelez purchased them. So yeah, it's yeah amazing how they tie together. Yeah, you know, the reason they bought 7-Up was because they had a cola called Mike Cola. But Mike Cola owned 7-Up, and Philip Morris wanted to buy 7-Up. So they had to buy Mike Cola to go with it. And, and the reason Miller Brewing bought Meisterbrow, Meisterbrow Light is actually Miller Light. And that's where the formula came from. But I say everything's connected, whether we like it or not. That's kind of the interesting things in the... Uh, in manufacturing and what the hell we do now for a living you know it's, it's the ties that uh that i love to see connection and and the reason why i like to ask people you know you know where some of these stories we've talked about down in dc or wherever but uh i think it's important for people to understand that you know manufacturing is such a phenomenally diverse industry that they need diverse people like yourself, you know, that come in and have these stories and these backgrounds that allow us to help businesses. And uh, right. that that's always part of the, you know, the fun stuff with the, with these things. Well, yeah, you know, John, here in Washington, we have registered 495 breweries in our state. And you talk about supply chain and the things that feed those breweries. And, and really the pandemic really crippled a lot, of, probably about 75% of the breweries in the state of Washington because their business was on premise. They didn't have 
cans, right? And and you know, and so what we did, I, you know, because of my background and my connections, we spent a lot of time with the microbreweries. How do you pivot from putting stuff in a in a, in a keg to putting it in a can? Well, guess what? The supply chain was so disruptive that there wasn't a lot of cans out there. There wasn't a lot of aluminum to make cans out there, you know. So. It, it, we just weren't prepared for that, like many things. But we made it through there. We pivoted a lot of companies, uh, manufacturers in the brewing business. Matter of fact, uh, we, we spent a lot of time with our breweries at our distilleries making hand sanitizer to yeah, go out to the frontline workers, which is really another pivot, which is really in the supply chain or even talking to companies about, hey, what else can you make, right? They would have never thought, Heritage Brewery would never thought they could make hand sanitizer. Um, we did a lot the same, and, and some of those lessons we learned from people like you. That was, to me, the, the strength of the uh, network during the uh, pandemic, was that I could get on the phone with you, preferably not at 5 a.m. our time, but, uh, you know, could get on a time with somebody like you and say, hey, what the heck, what's going on? This is a problem. Do you have an answer? And that was really, I think, a tremendous strength of, uh, of the 51 centers. Uh, you know, to what we're trying to do. You know, we had a lot of companies that, that pivoted and, you know, people on our team like Rob Stermauer, who you know, were, were instrumental in that, that, that effort. You know, I, I do wanna, you know, I mean, Impact Washington to me, I mean, we, we've done a lot of work together, you know, in, during my nine years at, at MEP, you know, working on the food program and, and, and other things. Uh, well, one of the things that always got to me with you guys is that I remember you highlighting some stuff about maritime manufacturing. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, even though New Jersey has a huge, you know, shoreline, uh, you know, for a small state, most of us, um, you know, uh, what does that entail for, for you and your, your team? When you yeah, a great, great question about maritime. And, and you think about maritime out here is we manage the entire fleet, fishing fleet that goes to Alaska every year. They, they base here in, in Seattle. So everything from you know, processing for, for maritime um, all the way up to the fishing boat. So you see that show uh, on TV, right? About you know, those guys out there in the Dead Sea you know, catching crab. Well, they all live here in Seattle, and that's where the boats are. So uh, we build boats here. We, we're involved in the manufacturing of maritime boating. Uh, we're involved in the maintenance for that. Um, we're also involved, um, you know, how do you, in the supply chain for repair work, or connecting the dots between their needs when they come back. Everything from fishing nets all the way to engine parts. And, and, what, and one of the things we're looking at, for, for example, on engine parts is, you know, a lot of these boats are really old and those fishing parts, those engine parts don't exist in some of those things. But what materials can we work with the Maritime uh, group over in Port Townsend, can we 3D print and make those things survive until we can, you know, go to the foundry and, you know, get those things re-engineered and put back out. And we learned that from the Navy uh, here at Keyport. The underwater warfare center because that's what they do a lot of times 
a lot of their, you know, the submarines were made for 10 years and now we're going on 25 years on some of those submarines, right? So the parts weren't made and sitting on the shelf. Where they're going to decommission some of those boats, but they're still in the water. So they learned how to 3D print parts because it takes up to nine months to procure a part for a wartime boat. So they're 3D printing. And actually, some of the 3D printing is actually probably better than what came out originally out of the found, foundries, right? And they're cut out of the CNC machines. So we've, we've helped that. We bring that technology to them. We've, we've brought them um, some new technology uh, around a safer boat for the pandemic and how to monitor that stuff out there. And then it's, this is really interesting. So seafood processing goes through the maritime community out here. It doesn't go through ag or it doesn't go through the food sector. And so when you read about $3 billion worth of seafood, you think the governor has it in the wrong bucket. So once again, we're very involved in seafood um, out here uh, with the maritime fleet. You have companies out here that do the frozen fish. So we help them uh, process their frozen fish facilities. We've done several plant layouts with Trident Seafood out here. Um, in, in Tacoma, we just rolled that out. But then we have a food, a food scientist on staff. And so Craig Down spends time with all these fishing companies out here to make sure that you know, we're up to par with the FISMA or the Seafood Hazard Program, right? And so, and then Craig's also an ingredient specialist. So when they're trying to build a new product, then we can go in there and be the subject matter expert because Craig's background came from potatoes and he did the sweet potato fry and ingredients. So that's a little bit how we're on that side of that stuff. So it's all connecting the dots in the maritime. And then, like I mentioned before, we're also very involved in this 5G study about how technology, cybersecurity, um, traceability of the boats and the cargo and stuff is, is affecting the ports and manufacturers in, in the state. So it's kind of, it's pretty, pretty cool seafood out here. And of course we have the cruise lines, but they're not doing anything until February of 2022. Yeah. Which has been devastating. Yeah. Yeah. I, I gather that uh, although some of the, yeah, that's affected some of our cruise lines in Jersey too. Although we hear that some of the ones down further South are, like Florida area and stuff are open up. Uh, what I loved about what you were talking about is, you know, some of that I knew, some of it I, I certainly did not. And, uh, but it, it just ties pieces together, as you say, when you talk about supply chain, you know, uh, you know, we talked about food, we talked about beverage. People don't realize that food and brewing and wineries, that's manufacturing. Uh, you know, your whole process of, uh, of seafood, that's manufacturing. Right. The supply of repair parts, that's manufacturing. You know, and, and it gets lost sometimes that when people don't understand the breadth of this industry and the importance of this industry, um, especially during the past year. You know, when you think about it, you say, "Well, did did we have enough to eat?" Yeah, for the most part, we did. Uh, did we have enough? gas to fill our car to get wherever yes we did was there heating oil in our you know i mean you know did we get our medications and so on yep and it's all manufacturing which is you know kind of interesting we'd like to blame impact washington on the uh the toilet paper shortage but uh you know we can't so uh 
Suez Canal. We'll blame, stuck there. We'll, we'll blame Buckley on that uh, from Wisconsin. So, uh, but yeah, it's very intriguing to me, uh, you know, where we go with some of this stuff. Well, even even in the supply chain from the food side, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you followed this, but there's a ketchup shortage. Yep. And so a lot of that was because we went from restaurants to drive-throughs, and people like the big, you know, the big arches were putting more and more squeezable ketchup things there, and we, we weren't building the pipeline behind us, right? And uh, even here, one of my big semiconductor people, I mean, they they order the stuff and it's a hope and a prayer when they're going to get some of it, right? We, and of course, it comes from across the water, which leads to the, some of the great work you're doing personally in the MEP and with NIST about how we reshore a lot of that stuff and build a, a more robust supply chain within the, the continental USA, right? That's the only way we're going to, oh, we're going to, if we don't do it fast enough, John, we're going to go back to the way it was until we get yeah. the next pandemic. And that's, or the next crisis. Uh, it scares the crap out of me. Uh, forgive my uh, language, but I'm from New Jersey. I have to keep up that uh, yeah. facade. But, uh, you know, the fact that we don't, you know, when I when I read the story that 95% of our blood pressure medicine is made in China, you can like or hate China. I really don't care. Uh, it has nothing to do with the fact you know, uh, the political aspects of China, it has everything to do with our supply chain. Right. And no one in business wants a single source for their, for their products and their supply chain, or they don't exist. Right. Because you can't pay for it, you can't cover it, yet we allow this to happen. And we've got to figure it out. And, you know, we're all working pretty damn hard to, to do that. What always worries me is, uh, you know, crises have uh, short lives. You know, they, they they stink when they're here. It's like everybody in New Jersey was going to develop a, a risk management plan for their company right after Superstorm Sandy. Right. And we got we were doing them hand over fist for about four months, and then they slowed down, and then they stopped, uh, and then when COVID hit, everybody that was, you know, was calling us saying, well, we, we should have finished that. Well, you didn't want to remember. And so we have short memories because it can't happen again. Right. There's always something, whether it's a pandemic or not, there's always something. So, yeah, you know, yeah. It, it's a, something we live with, you and I live with every day in our job. Yeah. And, but even as a consumer, a private consumer, I knew what an N95 mask was because they hung in the, at the, uh, on the rack at Lowe's. And I'd go get one if I was going to do some, some cutting of wood or fiberglass or something, right? Yeah. But I never, I didn't know anything. I did not know how they were made. They were electrical charged. And when we got called from the governor's office, I mean, I put my, you know, my two of my smartest engineers on that. I know more about those things today than I care to, right? I did not know an N95 and an expiration date on it, right? Uh, yeah, I did not know that. And little things like, uh, so those swabs were used for the testing, right? Those aren't cotton. Those have to be synthetic because cotton has a DNA. When I tell people that, they're like, 
that's bar trivia. You could make a living telling, yeah, because most of us just thought it was a long stick that jammed up your sinus, right? But it's really interesting to learn that. But we're also able to take some companies, once again, to pivot some plastic injection molding people that pivoted to make tubular capture, pharmaceutical capture, and uh, face shields. So one of the things that came out of pandemic is we were able to take some of those companies that aren't normally in the medical supply, supply chain and push back from the table a little bit and go, well, I can do this. They've slowed down enough to say, I can do this. And they're still doing it, which is really exciting, right? And it's also helped us because during the pandemic, you know, we had the triple tsunami here with Boeing with the MAX 737 when we grounded all those airplanes, right? And there's, you know, like 600 airplanes after those two major accidents. So a lot of companies are like, what am I going to do if they're not building the MAX anymore for almost a year and a half? Well, then we're like, hmm. So we, we could do medical device. We, we pivoted to DOD, right? And so we were able to get people on a journey in the supply chain for around defense contracting during that time. And so that was one of the positives that came out of that, you know, the pandemic and the max being shut down for us. We had, we had some similar stories. Uh, Rob had 287 companies that pivoted in some way directly with PPE and now have pivoted elsewhere based upon that. So it's, you know, I mean, this is, you know, that's the ingenuity of, of what manufacturers bring to the table. You know, we're, run, we're running close to our time, but uh, I have uh, a five, a fast five, I call it. These are questions and uh, I'll just, just hit you with the questions and, and you know, and answer them uh, whatever way you are. It has nothing to do with the Seattle Supersonics, though. Okay. Or Miller Beer. But uh, right. first one, is manufacturing in the USA dead? No. I think it's the greatest opportunity we've ever had in this country to re-energize manufacturing. Okay, number two, uh, can the US economy exist and thrive without manufacturing? Absolutely not. I mean, we cannot be a service industry only manufacturing is a heartbeat of america not to be per se from chevy but we are the heartbeat if you really look at it 92 percent of manufacturing in the country is small to medium size the mom pause those people that make a difference every day and provide to the economy yeah i agree 100 percent with that uh number three why can't we convince our respective governments state and federal to support this critical industry? John, that's a great question. And I think sometimes they don't understand the impact that manufacturing makes throughout the whole state of Washington, for example, right? They don't really understand that. And I think once again, because of the pandemic, I think some people have set up straight and let's, wait, let's figure out how to, what we do to recover. And they're realizing manufacturing is a big piece of that recovery. Yeah, I, I, again, I agree because you know what? Uh, I'm glad to hear President Biden talk about made in USA, but what does that mean? 
And, right. Uh, that's the key. So, uh, right. Know, you know, story not told yet. Uh, number four, outside of workforce development and staffing, what's the number one issue that you see out there in Impact Washington for manufacturers to overcome? Being able to be agile, um, being able to have access to capital is a big thing out here. You know, a lot of expansion going on in terms of uh, biotech, a lot of money coming through here, right? A lot of really smart companies are starting, but they need access to capital out here. And during pandemic, some of that capital went back in people's wallets, right? And now it's coming back up, but we need access to capital to make this thing work. And we can't, we can't depend on um, the federal government being the lifeline. We have to invest. Local private partnerships are the key to making this thing work. Well, that's a good point because uh, we can't sit and just wait for us to print a little bit more money and invest. We need to invest in our own. Right. Number five is a two-parter, but a simple one. Uh, in your opinion, are we gaining ground on this right now? Um, I don't know yet. I'm thinking, you know, there's, there's a lot of good talk, right? It's kind of early on. Um, a trend is not, you know, 71 days of what, you know, recovery. Um, I hope we are making a difference. I know we're making a difference within the MEP system because I see it. I realize it. And, you know, the supplier, you know, conversations we're having, the connectivity. Um, but it, like I said, we're going to, we have to move quickly or we're just going to go back the way it was. Yeah. Again, you and I spoke about this earlier. I, that's something I believe in it. And, and that's just it is that, you know, the second part of the question is just simple. You know, are, are we gaining ground fast enough? Are we actually making strides? And that, that's what scares me because I love the rhetoric. Made in USA. Yes, we're all for that. But uh, what happens when, you know, December comes and it's the Christmas season and we're going into next year and we're not thinking about it and it's, you know, uh, you know, will some of the larger companies change and not look at a, you know, I'll just use Apple as an example. You know, people think they're a technology company. They're, to me, they're a manufacturer. Right. They, but they do most of their manufacturing and sourcing overseas. Exactly. You know, it, will that sustain? Will that, you know, they're an American company, like to see you do something, um, mm -hmm. you know, and at that speaks to our states too. I know that New Jersey has a made in New Jersey program, but what does that mean when push comes to shove, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and we're not sure yet. So you right. know, that's a valid answer. And, and you know, I, I like you are asked to be on a lot of committees or workforce things. And some, some of the stuff I asked on is what are we trying to solve for? Uh, are we really going to use what we're solving for at the end? Or is this going to be another notebook? with yours and my name on it says I was on the committee, right? Because those things we can get every day, right? I want actionable and tangible, repeatable and scalable projects to move this thing forward. Because we'll see, that's the rhetoric was, rhetoric was good, but let's see what we get out of it. 
Yeah, and and part of it is understanding. You know, I mean, I really, you know, and I'm not trying to be glib. I don't understand necessarily what how government works. And, you know, I really don't, and I'm not trying to be funny about it. But uh, I don't understand the intricacies of how things get done. Uh, the fact is, though, is they don't understand how critical and important and how a supply chain works, how manufacturing works, how how critical it is to our economy to be able to make and maintain these things. Everything we touch gets made by somebody. Absolutely. I think everybody should, you know, one of my favorite shows as a kid was How Is It Made? Yeah. Love that show. Love that show. I still watch it, and I... I actually have the book that started the show and uh, my wife just chuckles when I pull it out. So, well, Deloitte, that's, uh, that's the time we have today. And I, but I do appreciate it. We've been on with Deloitte Wolf, who's the uh, uh, center director, CEO out there at Impact Washington, part of the NIST uh, manufacturing extension partnership, national network. And, uh, this show as blessed by the uh, the demigods at uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio. Uh, you know, this is uh, manufacturing partnerships and, and making waves, but the ways we talk about is we're trying to make positive ones. So uh, all good. Thank you, Deloitte. Hey, thanks for having me. Talk to you soon, John. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.